G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as the year is getting underway, you'll know that the challenge that is presented to the nation when it comes to the push for same-sex marriage, it isn't going away. There are opponents of marriage, as we know it, between one man and one woman who simply do not rest. There are significant things that will be coming upon the Australian people throughout the year. So it's good to talk about these things from a biblical and Christian perspective. Uh, One of those who is a part of uh, some of the challenges that are going on is James Parker. James is in Western Australia, has a significant story to tell and has become something of a campaigner when it comes to the issue of same-sex marriage. James Parker is joining us now. Hello, James. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much for having me on. James, uh, this issue of same-sex marriage, uh, there seemed to be a reprieve uh, when it comes to uh, the push for same-sex marriage with the idea that the plebiscite is now uh, on ice. But those who are pushing for same-sex marriage are certainly not resting at all. There is a continued uh, challenge that is going to be brought to the Australian people through this year. That's right. Indeed, uh, Neil, I mean, whatever happens, uh, there are people who uh, sincerely believe that they will, that they they are somehow not equal until they actually have um, what they call same-sex marriage and what I call same-sex mirage. And the the reason I call it same-sex mirage is because I have uh, fully lived a long-term committed homosexual relationship. But I've also lived a long-term committed heterosexual relationship, been married and become a father. So having lived out both experiences, I know categorically and at its core, these two expressions of relationship are not the same. And therefore, to call them both marriage is in and of itself, really, it, I think it's a fabrication and a lie. And for that reason, I believe it, it, it long term does a great injustice to our beloved brothers and sisters who experience same sex attraction. Um, you know, marriage has always been of that between a marriage and a woman with the openness to life, even for those who are infertile and barren. You know, those who are God-fearing people, believing God's word, even God can, you know, he, he can bring life out of nothing, if you like. But it takes a man and a woman for that to happen. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel very passionately um, about this whole topic around same-sex marriage. As I've said that, I call same-sex mirage, because I believe in justice for everybody. And, uh, you know, not from a bigoted, not from an intolerant, not from a homophobic perspective, uh, but just the, about, what, about what the reality of marriage really is. So that's where I'm coming from today, Neil. James, you've been married to a woman for the past decade, but your earlier years, and uh, some of our listeners will have caught that, uh, that you were in a long-term same-sex relationship. Tell us about your story. Well, look, I, I might just open just by saying this isn't just my story. It's a story, really, Neil, of many men and women here in Australia and also across the globe. Um, look, I first came out as gay to my parents when I was age 17. And I've got to say, they were great. 
And, you know, they told me they accepted me, that they, they loved me, and they assumed, um, uh, you know, that without doubt that I was gay as well. So in some way, I, I wasn't kind of fighting a, a, an uphill battle. It was then at 18, Neil, that I went to university um, in London in the UK, and I was the first person there on my campus ever to come out publicly as gay. Now, everyone accepted me, and actually they began to see me as a hero. So it was from there that I saw it really as my duty, as my obligation, um, to begin to establish a lesbian and gay group there within the university. I was very vocal about all matters that related to, well, I was going to say homosexuality, but even to matters relating to non-heterosexuality. And I got involved wherever I could in strategic thinking as to really how we might normalize homosexuality within society. And they were the discussions going on within the lesbian and gay groups in the late 80s. Now, at this time, my voice was, was much higher, um, and my walk was very feminine. It's difficult to explain that on radio a little bit. <laughs> and, and I was regularly wearing makeup, um, you know, foundation and, and eyeliner. Um, I couldn't go out without my makeup on when going to a party. But I was also questioning whether or not I might actually be a woman trapped in a man's body, because I was exclusively attracted to my own sex. Now, saying that, um, Neil, after a time of being quite promiscuous, certainly in the eyes um, of the gay community, but really radically promiscuous in the eyes of the straight community, um, I then settled down with a long-term boyfriend to whom I was wholly committed, and he was wholly committed to me. And bizarrely, maybe, it, it was in the midst of this relationship that I made a commitment to follow the person of Jesus Christ. And my boyfriend latterly did the same thing as well. And it was from there that God moved really powerfully in our lives. We began to hunger for scripture, we began to spend time in prayer, and we sought after the company of other alive Christians, if you like. But the more that I entered into intimate and relational prayer with the person of Jesus, I began to feel, um, really, I just began to feel more uncomfortable, really, in what others were seeing as this archetypal gay Christian relationship. That everyone, and I mean when I say everyone, I mean also some church leaders were upholding as good and even as God, even from God. But but what happened then, Neil, is I eventually felt compelled, really, from within my own spirit to end the relationship. I can't really put it into words. It was just a conviction within me, and so I finished it, and I embraced um, chastity really for the first time in years. And then the real adventure began for me. And this is what I actually call my my second coming out. You know, we talk about people coming out as gay, but um, I, I honestly believe that. Uh, that uh, there's a second coming out as well. So I left behind everything to do with the gay community. At no point did I try and deny or did I try and ignore the reality of my same-sex attraction, which, you know, it continued to consume me. But what I did do is this, is I was taught to begin to bring my consuming and burning same-sex attraction and all the um, residue from that, to bring it into dialogue with God in the growing intimacy of my, my prayer life. And it was from there, Neil, that very, very slowly, I began to be shown that what I thought were normal feelings and a normal way of seeing life was, in fact, pretty chaotic. Now, look, being same-sex attractive is all I'd ever felt and experienced. And, and when you live at the heart of the LGBTI community, it's very difficult to discern chaos, as everybody else's life is very similar to your own. Anyway, a good degree of chaos and a victim mentality become normal to me even though on the outside, my life appeared to be wholly together. So it was only really once I, um, once I stepped outside of the LGBTI environment and I took off what I now call the rainbow-tinted spectacles through which I saw everything, and that included religion and, and, and politics, etc. 
It's only then that I found myself vulnerably in a group of, of other humble peers, people my similar age, who themselves admitted that their lives weren't perfect. And that one step at a time, through my commitment in prayer and working alongside a really amazing Christ-centered therapist, that veils literally began to fall from my eyes. Now, what do I mean by veils? Well, it was through this intimate, prayerful, therapeutic journey that I began to find myself facing years of extensive childhood sexual abuse that I had literally pushed down and hidden from myself. It was a reality and I was living out of this, but I, got, I, just, I couldn't face the reality of that shame, so I pushed it down. I also went on an internal and an external journey, Neil, to face issues relating to, um, to being abandoned at birth and subsequently being fostered and, and being adopted. I addressed, um, I addressed the way in which I saw the masculine and the way in which I saw the feminine. And I learned to get in touch also with the depths of, of fear, the depths of, of sadness and, and of shame and of guilt and, and anger within my heart. And they were all there to some degree or other. So look, it was a very gradual journey. And it was one that demanded that I forgive lots of people. That included forgiving myself. And I um, also had to go and ask others for forgiveness as well for some of my own wrongdoings. So look, overall, I, I believed myself to be born gay, and I've had this identity affirmed by my family, by, by my school friends, by those in authority, by everybody, even people in the church. But here I was suddenly, slowly, and really very tenderly, having light shone into some of the darkest pockets of my heart, and I began to find restoration of my very personhood. Now, look, I deliberately chose to embrace words of truth and of affirmation of me as a man, even though I thought to some extent I was a woman, rather than of me feeling like I was another gender or the affirmation of my mere sexual feelings or my behaviors. So what happened is, um, cut a long story short, and it is a long story, I permitted God to shed his light into my darkest, most shameful and traumatic experiences. And it was only then that a whole new sense of life previously unknown to me and also unimaginable, it just, it just began to spring up from within me really, Neil. So in my total surrender of everything to God, and especially surrender of all aspects of my sexuality, it's like his touch began to, to reshape and, and to reorder, if you like, um, the very core of my personhood. Now, some of people assume this means that I went from being 100% homosexual to 100% heterosexual in, you know, in all my behaviors and in my interests and in my attractions and in my thoughts. But this isn't true. And, and, and therefore, some of my beloved, and I use that word deliberately, my beloved same-sex attracted brothers and sisters cry that, you know, failure, failure, you know what you're saying is not true. But they're looking at change, I believe, through the wrong lens. The right way to see what I believe is an exciting and, yes, very challenging journey is to be in pursuit not of heterosexuality, but of happiness and, above all, of peace in relationship with God and with self and with all others, while upholding one's deeply held values, beliefs and life goals. So, looking short, I've discovered greater peace, a satisfaction in life, significantly less shame, a freedom from hiding and a freedom from victimhood and depression. And I think this is what Jesus meant when he said that he came, that we might all, and that means every one of us, we might all have life and have it in abundance. So today, yes, of course, I experience other sex attraction and, and heterosexual feelings. You know, um, I mentioned that I've spent 10 years being a married man as a father, and I'm learning more and more each day that God makes us without mistake in his image and that he creates us to live without shame. 
But every one of us has in some way um, been drawn into a darkened or a false view of, of who we really are, of, of our own identities, which is why life sometimes doesn't feel very abundant. So um, really, only once we as individuals, and I think also as families and communities, even as states or territories or as a nation, until we put God back at the center, I just don't believe we're going to reap this goodness and the, bele- and the benevolence that he's designed to, you know, to lavish upon us. So this stuff isn't, isn't really rocket science whatsoever. And this isn't, as I say, this isn't just my story. This is the story of many, many, many people today as well. So in, in short, if you like, that's some of my story, Neil. James Parker, our guest, and shedding light on the complexities of what it is to have a human sexuality and describing his early days in a homosexual relationship. And James, stay with us. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. But when we talk through these sorts of issues, uh, the consequences of same-sex marriage, I know you've become something of a campaigner when it comes to uh, what those consequences are and how they're very much underestimated. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking some time to hear the story of James Parker, who in Western Australia has become something of a campaigner when it comes to understanding the very complicated issues that are surrounding the push for same-sex marriage. James is a Christian, and he's been in a marriage relationship with a woman for the past 10 years, but his earlier years were spent in a long-term homosexual relationship. And James is talking through some of these issues with us today. And in our last segment, James, uh, you touched on a lot of the very complex things that people who are going through challenges with their sexuality actually come up against. When we talk about the consequences of same-sex marriage, your campaigning is that these things need to stop. Marriage needs to be kept between one man and one woman. Uh, when you think of consequences, uh, what are the things that come to mind? Well, just before I go into the consequences now, can I, can I just say that, yes, I am, um, I guess, really a campaigner. Certainly I'm campaigning, even if I'm not a campaigner. I guess that makes me a campaigner. Mm. Um, but uh, some might sit and think that I, um, in some way, that I'm against people who are um, uh, self-identify as lesbian, gay, transsexual, bisexual, whatever. And actually, the opposite is, is true. I really am on the side of people who are lesbian and gay and bisexual, etc. I understand and know firsthand that journey and that lifestyle. And it's for this reason that I turn around and, and, and scream a very, very loud no um, at putting the words same sex and the word marriage together in a sentence. To me, it's like talking about um, dry water or about, you know, frozen fire, etc. I do believe that this is an absolute oxymoron and that we're pretending that people are entering into something that's called a marriage when it's not. But on the topic of, of, of consequences, I think it's really important that we all, um, as a nation, uh, take note of the fact that when you begin to change laws, of course there's consequences to the change in any law whatsoever. And marriage has always been the very bedrock of our society, such that really for, for many, many years, parliaments you know, never really sort of looked at legislation around marriage as such, and certainly not in the way that it seeks to dramatically change the understanding of marriage um, as many are pushing for today. So what are some of those consequences? Well, we can see that from abroad, you know, um, there have been examples of 
multiple partners who've requested marriage. If any two people, and I mean any two people, can turn around and say, well, we should be allowed to get married because we love each other, then why in a world that is beginning to embrace what's called polyamorous relationships should uh, three people or even four people not be permitted to get married. We've seen cases of this in the USA. We've seen a case of three men getting married in Thailand, so not too far from, from where we are here in Australia. Um, and not, this would also include a push by the Muslim community for polygamy. Um, and I've met with different um, uh, people from the Muslim community here in Australia who are saying, look, you know, if same-sex marriage is pushed through, then, then we've got a right to ask for polygamy as well. Have we thought about the long-term consequences of what this means? That's, so that's one point. Another point is the whole area of gay surrogacy and parenting. It's, um, it's, it's actually a, a, great, a great injustice to turn around and say to two people of the same sex, you can be married, but you can't really have a family like everybody else. And as we see, we've got a number of different gay couples today who've engaged in, in gay surrogacy or, or doing gay parenting. And, and this isn't, in no way is this me turning around trying to say, oh, well, that man or that woman can't be a good parent. I'm not trying to say that whatsoever. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that, you know, it takes um, a man and a woman, it takes sperm and it takes an egg to create a human life for a very, very deliberate reason. Now, I also understand firsthand uh, the need of what it is to have both parents having been abandoned myself and ripped away from my my birth mother, even at birth. Um, You know, I've dealt with many, many adoptees and I've met and talked to different people who've been raised by same-sex parents. And look, we, all, we love our adoptive parents. We love, we love our same-sex parents, etc. But we've been left at core with an incredible pain of being ripped away from the very place, the sperm and the egg, if you like, the people who produce the sperm and the egg. In many cases, this, this doesn't rise in people until they're often in their 30s, 40s. I met a man recently in his 60s who just found his birth mother just prior to her, to her death. And, and his wife, who'd been married to him for 40 years, said, a part of him came alive, and I've known the guy for 45 years. She said, I couldn't believe the difference this made to his life. So we can't underestimate the role of mum and dad in a child's life as well. As I say, this isn't meant to judge others in their parenting. I'm just saying there is a consequence if we say yes to same-sex marriage, and we'd have to enable in some way or other gay surrogacy and parenting. An additional thing just to mention here, Neil, is that uh, and I'm sure there's a number of your listeners who, who will have heard of, of different cases, certainly abroad, where there have been businesses and different groups and even individuals that have been prosecuted if in any way, shape or form they dared to question the concept of same-sex marriage. And there are just loads and loads of case studies from uh, across the globe of good people and mostly Christians who are now being penalized, are being sued, are being persecuted for not servicing same-sex couples' demands. And I might point this out, is when I was part of the, the gay community um, 20, 30 years or so ago, is what happened is that we were very strategically looking at ways in which we could not only just normalize homosexuality, but to, su- to see it superior to heterosexuality. We believe that, you know, our life and our calling was, 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 was greater than everybody else's. I mean, it really is what we call gay pride. I think we've heard that phrase before as well. It's not exactly gay humility. Um, and so there's a real push that whatever happens is nobody would stand in our way. And that also meant getting rid of the fact that, you know, uh, a relationship between a man and a woman was seen to be normal. We had to extinguish that understanding so that we could say, 
love between any two people is normal. Now, as Christians, we, of course we believe in love, but we also forget sometimes that there are four types of love. There is agape, there is storge, there is philia, and there is eros. But if you try and bring erotic love into, into storge or philia, you, in other words, you bring eroticization uh, between just two mates or, or two girls who are friends, etc., you start having consequences and also complications. Um, so for me, I mean, above all, the reason why I, I, I campaign so strongly is I don't want my beloved brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted to be offered something that is at core, really, I believe, a fabrication. But secondly, I want to see the dignity um, and the, uh, the true identity and the respect of children upheld as well. Uh, and I, I just think that where the vulnerable are concerned, we all have to stand up and speak on behalf of kids' rights. And there's people out there saying, oh, this won't harm kids, etc. Well, I'm sorry, but there's there's enough cases of adults speaking out about this now to show that actually going down this pathway is harmful, really, Neil. So, look, they're just some of the consequences that I see that I'm speaking about to people and ensuring that people really hear this. It, it, it isn't just the fluffy, well, we love each other, it's all going to be fine, there'll be no difference. There'll be many, many differences that happen to our society, and the electorate have a right to know exactly what those consequences are. James, it appears to be the push for same-sex marriage uh, tries to uh, put down and suppress uh, the ethical issues and the challenges and the questions that are being asked. Uh, You're articulating those very well, but when you start to talk about just the simple terminology of same-sex marriage and, uh, you know, people have the right to love who they want to love, uh, those things are uh, very, very shallow in one sense, and they ignore uh, the big ethical issues, uh, the underestimated consequences of same-sex marriage. And I'm interested if you can enlarge just a little on the idea that actually the gay community, the homosexual community, is actually at risk uh, here because it's as though they've been deceived on some of these sorts of ethical issues and challenges that they're uh, somehow rather ignorant about. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, one, one of the things that I, I particularly bring up with people, you know, and as I say, having lived uh, in a long term committed homosexual relationship and a long term committed heterosexual relationship, you, you know, um, uh, what happened is shortly after I, I married and clearly married to a woman, surprise, surprise, we ended up pregnant. Um, it was a natural process. It wasn't a messy process. Um, you, you know, everything, it, there were no health implications to that at all either. Um, but what happens is if, for example, if two men decide to get married and the only difference between them having a friendship as two men and then being married as two men is we would see that there would be some form of sexual expression to their relationship. And, and I'm aware this is a Christian program and it may be the families, people listening. But the reality is this, is if that relationship is, for want of using another word, consummated, you're talking about um, uh, one man's member being placed into an orifice of somebody else, putting it very bluntly. There are massive health effects as a result of that. And if that continues um, on a regular basis, which is likely to happen within that gay same-sex marriage, then what happens is deep down those two men are actually slowly harming each other and begin to affect each other's health rather than it being something that's life-giving. So, look, I've even changed my mind on using the term gay lifestyle. I actually call it a gay death style. Um, and, and really deep down, from what I tried to mention a little bit earlier in some of my story, is that um, deep down, the, the essence of where my same-sex attraction was coming from was not just because I'd been born that way, but because in some way there was effects of my environment that had brought me to that place. 
Now, so I think that our time and our energy and our effort needs to be looking, yes, at ethics and needs to be looking at exactly how we've reached where we've reached today. Another thing I question as well, Neil, is this, is, you know, I've dealt a lot with the British Parliament when I was living over in the UK. And I've often wondered to myself um, why people never fought for homosexuality when the whole of Parliament was just male. Now, we know there's a lot more male homosexuals than there are, say, female homosexuals, if you want to know where I'm putting it. Um, And I'd say this is, I honestly believe that environmentally, through the words we use, through the media, through entertainment, uh, through education, uh, in the political realm, etc., that we're actually beginning to create a society that's moving further and further away from, in a sense, the divine image of who we should be. And I'm right to be concerned about that, because all that does is that steals people away from the real depths of love that, that they can have and that they can experience. So I'm hoping in some way that I might have just at least scratched an answer towards some of your question that you asked me just there. Well, James, we'll no doubt have an opportunity to talk on another day and about some of the initiatives that you've founded and uh, that you're also pursuing. And uh, there are a lot of those to mention, which uh, we won't go into today. But if people want to contact you, is there a website that people can go to uh, to make contact with you, James Parker? Uh, look, the best way to get me is, is actually at present is just through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm James Parker. I'm in person. That's probably the best ways to get me at the moment. We'll talk another day. James, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Great to chat with you, Neil. Thank you very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.